been talking for several weeks now about the good life, and I feel like it's kind of uh, appropriate since we passed the halfway mark to kind of come back and revisit just a little bit again the beginning and what this was about and this study through the book of Ephesians that kicked off at the first of the year and will last all the way through uh, till the month of July. So this is a journey that we're on, and it's not simply that uh, I'm reading through the book of Ephesians and I'm shopping for clothes over here, and we've got the book of Ephesians over here and clothes over here, and I'll say, how can I make these two fit? It's literally through times and times of reading through the Ephesians letter from Paul that it began to become very clear to me. One of the clear themes here is that he's trying to tell these believers in Ephesus the value of what it means to be a part and chosen and adopted and elected by our God, and, and how big that is, and and the the, the kind of the, the theme verse for it all is, that, is how Paul opens it up in Ephesians chapter one verse four, and he says, "Blessed us that, that we are blessed us with in Christ with every spiritual blessing, blessed, blessed, blessed." I mean, we're just like blessed all over when you come to these early chapters, and there's like three different times in those first four verses that. He mentions the word blessing. And here in one verse, two times, we're blessed, us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. And so, what does it mean? What's every spiritual blessing? Now, I don't think in any way we're going to cover every spiritual blessing throughout our six-month study here. But if we can look through Ephesians verse by verse and hopefully unpack some of that, I think we'll understand that the blessed life is not in a t-shirt. It's not in some positive mental attitude. The good life is not in a pill or in a shiny new toy that will one day lose its luster and appeal. It's not in finding a new relationship because the old relationship has gone bad. It's going to be much deeper than that. It's going to go to the soul of who we are. It's going to come from the soul of who we are. It's like a river that runs both ways. It flows from Christ, but it also flows back to Christ. Now deal with that philosophically in your mind. How can that be that... A river can run to and from all at the same time. But that's literally what happens. It creates this this pool, if you will, of God blessing us so that we might bless others. And it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And in our blessing others, we are truly blessing Him. And one of the ways that we see the blessing of Christ upon us, the blessed life of following Him and the good life of going with Christ, is the fact that He gives gifts. I like gifts. It's one of my love languages. All right? You know, everybody likes, well, I don't say everybody likes gifts, but I mean, most people like gifts. I mean, the thoughtful, the meaningful, the, that, that, that timely gift. For me, it doesn't matter. It could be vain. It could be a vain gift. It could be an empty gift. It doesn't even have to have a lot of value to it. Just the fact that you're giving it, that means something to me. I even had somebody give me a, a, a card one time, a gift card, and it didn't have any money on it. But I still thought it was great that they at least thought of me to give me an empty, an empty gift card. But anyway, we'll, we'll save that, the rest of that conversation for another day. But, um, but the fact that, that you can give a gift, in fact, I not only like to receive gifts, I like to give gifts. And, and when it comes gift-giving time in our house, I cannot hold back. I mean, it's one of those things that, one, is I have to put myself on a budget or Lori has to put me on a budget. But not only that, is I like to give it before the special day comes. If I get the gift two weeks in advance, it is everything I can not to give it the day I walk in the door. All right? It doesn't matter. I mean, I've got to get it out. I'm so excited about giving that gift away 
that uh, the whole gift-giving thing, I'm all in on that part, and the giving-receiving thing, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that one too, But uh, as I, I think most of us are. But if you look at this passage, you'll find that Paul, in Ephesians 4, if you'll be finding that, Paul deals with gifts. He talks about the good life, and the good life being tied to the gifts that we get from God. And sometimes I think we miss that part, is that, that God actually does a value add into our life. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing, and part of that spiritual blessing is that He gives you gifts. He, he blesses our lives. And In fact, you, you can look at verse 7 with me, and it says, But grace was given. You see that there? He already starts talking about giving it away, and that grace is that idea of, there's a there's an ability there's a there's a spiritual grace that is being given to each one of us. So he didn't leave anyone out. He didn't say, "Okay, I'm going to bless those up on the stage, but those who are sitting down in the seats, they don't get the blessing." If you're a follower of Christ, you have been given a gift of grace. God has given you something, and finding that is a part of the journey of our of our Christian pilgrimage, employing it is a part of the Christian pilgrimage that we're on. He's given each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's even, again, the word gift coming back into play there, that this whole giving thing is something that's built into the very DNA and the nature of the Godhead, and that we are given this gift. Now, I love it because he not only talks about Romans and, 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 and in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about these gifts and the idea of giving gifts, and he there's other lists of gifts. There's gifts in Romans and 1 Corinthians and, and then here in Ephesians. And he talks about these various gifts at different times. And people have written a lot of books on spiritual gifts and when they are and when they're used and how to use them and how to not abuse them. And there's all, all manner of things written about these gifts. And I'm not even in the beginning of this message. I've got I to gotta tell you that we're not going to be dealing with the spiritual gifts today. We're going to be dealing with only a small section of them. But personally, he gives each one of us a gift. But this is something that's also beautiful. Corporately, together as a faith family, he gives us gifts. So it's kind of like at the McDaniel household, we will give gifts at Christmas time, and they'll have names to and from. But then there will be typically one or two gifts that are for the family. We have a particular game that we like to play around the table at night. And we like it's called we call it the question game. You ask any of our kids about the question game, they'll tell you all about it. We love the question game. And I found this little box of questions that just random questions that you can ask at the dinner table and it creates great conversation. And we do this quite regularly. And so that's a family gift. Well, he gives us as a family gifts as well. And the beautiful list that he gives us is found in verse verse eleven. And so skip down to chapter four, verse eleven, and it says this. He says, and he gave, he gave, there it is again, again, about four different times in this ten verses period, does he mention the word give or gift or given, and here's another one of those times, he gave what he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave shepherds and and teachers. Now your Bible may say pastors and teachers, same word, pastor is a shepherding, It's 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 an agrarian term, and Paul employs that agrarian term into this scenario. Now, when you look at that list of, of gifts that he's given, many theologians believe that those are the gifts that he gave the family, the faith family. So what are these faith family gifts, and 
who gets them and who has them and how are they exercised. And there's, again, a lot of debate, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking that down because that's not the focus of the passage. He literally mentions them and he goes on to the real crust of the passage is what these gifts, these gifts in verse 11, what these gifts do to you as a faith family. So the focus today may be for you, hey, I want to know more about these gifts. Okay, dive in and study on your own, good homework all week long. But the focus of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 is not to break down all the nuances and the time periods and whatever of these gifts. He wants to focus on what do these gifts add to your life when you're part of a faith family. And so real quickly, Joe, if you just want to kind of get some handles on them, some people look at the, the gift of the apostle as kind of that, that gift that, well, some people have considered these gifts, some of them have expired. But if I was to look at them, because apostles and prophets, some people count those as being expired gifts. I don't necessarily see that because you find that the, the official office of the apostle has expired because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it identifies that those had to be the ones who had seen Christ. There was an official office of apostles. But, but then you find other times, though, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, Apollos, people who probably did not see the resurrected Christ. Those people actually are also identified as apostles. Maybe there's a big A apostle, but then there's a little A apostle. And so the idea that the gift goes on, I think, is more in line with all of Scripture rather than trying to make it as a, as a ceased gift. But what does an apostle do? Apostle is one who foresees the future of, uh, and goes into uncharted lands. It, it, it's a trailblazer. I call it an entrepreneur for God. It's a person who will willing to go and, and to blaze a trail and to do something different that nobody's ever done before, and it's not just because it's the pop culture thing to do. I like that kind of mentality. I like those kind of people who are willing to do what nobody's done to do what nobody's been able to do for Christ. Apostles. There's also prophets. They speak the truth with boldness, and I would add to that clarity as well. From Scripture, all right, there's a boldness about the, about the prophet. Now, in the Old Testament times and during the times of the New Testament before the New Testament was finalized, the prophet was the one who spoke before the, the canon of Scripture was finalized. That was the one who spoke, and everybody wrote it down. The scribes would write it down because that was, that was God speaking. Well, we have a, 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 a complete Scriptures, as I understand it, as I see it. And so what would a prophet, a prophet would be one who would speak. Again, maybe not the big P prophet, but a little P prophet would be one who would speak clearly and boldly the Scriptures into somebody's life. And you may have somebody in your life who will lovingly put their arms around you, but yet firmly tell you in your life, that, hey, you're off course. And we need prophets in our life. We need people who will, who will not hold back. They'll speak the truth in love, as we'll come to in a moment, but they'll not hold back. Another one is evangelist. Evangelist is that person who will take the gospel, effectively take the good news to people who haven't ever heard. Effectively. You've got people like a, the Billy Grahams of this world. Those are awesome people. When you think about we're living in an era where there one day Billy Graham will pass away, and, but we can say that we've all heard, hopefully we've all heard Billy Graham share, a man who has shared to more people on the planet than even the Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ. He has preached the gospel to more people than anybody else, and we're living in that age. But he's an evangelist. an amazing thing that he could speak so clearly, and every time the gospel comes out and people are changed. 
is a beautiful thing, the gift of evangelism. But sometimes you're not a Billy Graham. Sometimes you're a Jerry Krigler. Jerry Krigler was a man in my last church. And he was an amazing individual. He was a painter. He was a blue-collar guy. He, 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 was so, he was such a simpleton. But, man, he would always be telling other people about Christ. Whether you're a Jerry Krigler or you're a Billy Graham, we need evangelists in our church telling other people about Christ. But then the shepherd teachers or pastors teachers. And these are, some people call these kind of as one combined office. And uh, they share in the care of God's people. These are the ones who carry on the work that the apostle blazed the trail, that the prophet spoke into, that the evangelist declared the gospel. But what remains behind is the church. And the church needs shepherds. The church needs teachers. It's a part of the makeup of his body. It's a part of his plan. And so here we come back to this idea of how did God bless me? He gave me personally gifts, but he also gave me corporate gifts family gifts. And one of those family gifts that he gives us is a shepherd teacher. Now I share that role. I carry that role at, at Grace Point Church. And and I'm excited to be called the shepherd teacher. And we talk about this in, in North Point. We say what's the primary job of a pastor is to lead and defeat. Lead and defeat. That's what the job of a shepherd is. Is to, he's to lead. What's the job of a teacher? He's to feed. So to lead and to feed are the two primary tasks. The thing is, is that we've got enough people. I can't do it all. So there's a pastoral team that comes around me. The beautiful giftedness of a, of a team that are gifted in music or that are gifted in, in students or that are gifted in children in preschool that I am not gifted in, but we can come together collectively and shepherd and teach and train up. That's the gift the church has been given by God. Now, you say, okay, what's the value add to my life? If, if God's given me individual gifts, but God's given us a faith family, what is the faith family going to add to my life? And I'll tell you right now, we're not perfect at this. I'm not a perfect shepherd, and I'm not a perfect teacher. And so if I disappoint, I'll probably underwhelm you most of the time, all right? In fact, I like to say this, I'm going to under-promise and hopefully over-deliver. Uh, because that's typically... Well, maybe sometimes the other way. I overpromise and underdeliver. But whatever the case may be, if you're looking for a perfect shepherd teacher, you have found the wrong place and you need to keep searching. But I hope that when you come to a part of being a part of a faith family such as Grace Point, I hope that when you're a covenant member and you say, This is my family, this is the family that I'm going to associate with, I hope you can walk away with these five elements in your life. Because these five gifts should be there. Alright? So take your pen and pencil and follow along real quickly from this passage. Because what Paul does at this point is he turns to talk about the value add, if you will, of being a part of a church that's well-functioning in this model. Alright? The first gift of a covenant member of Grace Point Church is hopefully that you'll walk away equipped and empowered, empowered for meaningful ministry. You've heard us talk about it. Every member needs a ministry. It's one of our, it's, it's, it's there. And the job of a pastoral team is not to be the ministers. Believe it or not, and we talk about this again in North Point, that we are the equippers of the ministry. You are the ministers. We're the equippers. And if we're not equipping you, then we're not doing our job. It would be really nice to think that in a few weeks when we introduce to you a, a, a potential children's minister, that you'll think, oh, good, the children's ministry of Grace, Grace Point is now taken care of. No. 
In fact, what you'll probably need to hear loud and clear from this person and from us, and you need to hear it today, is that all this person's job is is to equip you for the ministry. They're your children. They're yours. They've been entrusted to you. They haven't been entrusted to us. But what we can do as a church is hopefully come along beside you as a parent and help you to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. But our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Don't miss that. Look with me at verse chapter 4 and skip down to verse 12. What is he? What are these pastors and teachers and evangelists? And pro, what are they supposed to do? They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Underscore that. You are the ministers. We are the equippers. You are the ones who are equipped to do ministry. That's why we hold in such high value that when you become a Grace Point Covenant member, that you say to this body and to the family of God and to our pastoral team and to God Himself that I am ready and I am available for ministry. And what we will do then is come along beside you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. I love the story that Rick Warren shares. Southern California pastor, Saddleback Community Church, one of the largest churches in, in the nation. And he tells of a person in their church who was admitted into ICU and how there would be constantly people, one, two, three, four, about four different people made it to the hospital before Rick was able to make it to the hospital to see this member. And every time they would walk up there to the registration desk and at the ICU, which you know is like getting it behind a steel court curtain, and they said, listen, I'm a minister at Saddleback. Oh, okay, if you're a minister, then we'll let you on back. That happens once. That happens twice. That happens three times. That happens four different times. And finally, Rick Warren makes it to the counter. And the lady said, wait, 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 wait. Let me guess. You're here to see this patient, and you're a minister at, at Saddleback, right? He says, well, matter of fact, I am. I'm the pastor. He says, yeah, we've had four other ministers from your church already here to see this patient. You know what I want to see at Grace Point? I want to see this community get confused with who's the ministers. Because there's so much ministry, there's so much involvement, there's so much connection, there's so much touching of lives and helping people grow in their faith that they're confused. Who is the minister? Who are the ministers of Grace Point Church? I love it, that I, and I want to challenge everyone in this room, if you're a part of this faith community, that you'll have a ministry outside, and you'll have a ministry inside. When I mean outside, that you'll find a place in this community and you'll serve, whether it's uh, serving uh, uh, at Loving Choices or Big Brothers, Big Sisters or Foster Care or, or, or Boys and Girls Club parties. I love what our Rogers campus is doing right now at the Boys and Girls Club. We have a chef that works over, uh, that goes to the uh, Rogers campus, uh, Josh Noel and he comes over here and a team of other people come over here and use the kitchen. Again, this is a toolbox. That's all this building is. It's a toolbox. So they come over here and they use our kitchen. And they prepare meals for families. About 80% of the families over there are single-parent homes. And they take it back, all, all the meals back over. And once a month they serve all the families that desire to be served a meal, a hot meal. Then they throw a birthday party for all the children who come to the Rogers Boys and Girls Club. That's being involved in the Coaching a baseball team, being involved in the community. Find yourself in the community of Northwest Arkansas investing. Find your ministry out there. It may not carry the minister title, but be a minister wherever you are. 
But also, I think there's an importance of being a minister inside. We have essential ministries. You've heard me talk about those. Essential ministries. These are the week-to-week-to-week ministries that, that if these positions aren't full, then the mission and the mandate of our church begins to be compromised. That's why you'll hear me from time to time. That's why we'll have a ministry expo once a year. That's why I say everybody needs a ministry inside and a ministry outside. You need a ministry in here to pour into the next generation that's going to go into the community that's going to infect the community with the good news of Christ. We have 20 new ministry positions that need to be filled in one week. Let me tell you the good news. You've seen what we're going to call the village. Uh, All right, the village that's just over here to the side that's really going to be named after Joy House, which is our Haiti ministry that we've been involved with since the beginning of the church. And K-Village is a, is a village that we've been involved with in Mali for about the past four to five years. And also one is going to be called New Day. It's going to remind us, each one of those are going to be themed out to these different villages and places that we go. New Day is where we're building an orphanage in Zambia. And so that's the village. So when you hear us talk about go to the village, then that's the village out there. It looks like a village too with all the the, the double wides out there. But anyway, the, the, the great thing about that is that we've had this little challenge that we've faced for the past nine months. That in some, several of our services, we've been overcrowded, to say the least, in our children's area. You may say, oh, there's seats all around me right now. But in our children's area, again, it's full to capacity and overflowing. And this is a challenge and a blessing, a blessing and a challenge, but it's not not fun at all whenever you're sitting at the registration desk and you have to tell a family because we don't have space for you. We had to do five classrooms last week. We had to close them down. Five classrooms in the second gathering. That's just not right. So what we did is we began to rally around. We got a lot of things in motion. I don't have time to go into them all. But one of the things we did real quickly was we need to get some annex buildings out there. So, again, the village is born. These annexes are going to help us, and we're going to tell you more about that in in a little bit, but these annexes are going to help us. And the great thing is, is we came to the church back in the summer and we said, hey, we need permission to get a debt, to to go into debt to to build these buildings. And the beautiful thing is the giving of our faith family has been so great. We're going to be able to do it debt free. Isn't that awesome? Give the Lord a hand. All right. Debt free. So we're doing that debt free. We're going to have space now that will hopefully take us up to the point that we're going to be able to hopefully by the end of our the city's allowance of those the village to be out there, uh, that, uh, that we'll have a new building in, in process or very near completion. That's our prayer. Here's the great thing is that's taken care of. We now have new classrooms. Hopefully we'll have enough space for all the kids. But now what do we need? We need teachers. We need workers. We need helpers. We need people to love on kids and to teach the next generation before it's too late. So here's the challenge to every one of us. Are you ready to be a minister for Christ? We want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Here's our model. You'll see it every time you walk out our front doors. Hopefully you'll look up at it and remember it. Read it with me. Every member is a minister, and every ministry is meaningful. I'll promise you this at Grace Point Church, as long as I'm your pastor, I'll never put you in a boring, staid, meaningless task. It will always have life-changing purpose attached to it. It will be meaningful. But you have to embrace the, 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 the feeling and the mantra that we, I am a minister, where am I ministering? All right? Let's move on to number two. Hopefully a part of the value add is that we'll build a greater body of Jesus followers. 
Jesus made it really clear in his whole discipleship methodology is that we would be a part of building his kingdom. If a part of a disciple maker isn't building up, bringing people in that are not yet followers of Christ, we're missing it. Jesus told his disciples, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And if that, basically you can do the math on that, back into it. If I'm not fishing, I'm not following. Think about it. If you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's a promise. It's a condition with a promise. If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. But if I'm not fishing for men, am I really following him? That's where it comes down to it. And we cannot miss it. If you look with me again, back at that verse 12, he says, Equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. We have a task to build up the body of Christ. In this this word, this word oikodome, is a, is a Greek word that literally means to be an architect, to build something out of nothing. If we would learn to look at our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and those who are not yet following Christ, and we would ask the question, how can I build into their life a faith that is not there? And if somebody, if God has put somebody into your life, He's put them into your life for a reason. And I, I can't tell you all the reasons, but He's put it into your life for at least this one reason, to make sure they are being built up in the body of Christ. Are you building up? Are you There's a foundation being laid. Are you laying that foundation? Say, Mike, I am not good about sharing my faith. I want you to jot these down. I'm going to give them to you quickly. I want you to meditate them on all afternoon. All right, number one, this is just a good, it's what I go through in my mind. It's what I continue to check myself out with. Am I doing these four bullet points? Number one, am I investing in relationships with unbelievers? See, the reality is, is that the longer you are a follower of Christ, the fewer unfollower of Christ, non-followers of Christ, do you hang with. There's a little bit of studies that have been done out there that somebody who's a follower of Christ and has about nine or ten different friends that are not followers of Christ, within about four or five years, they'll be down to one or two. What's the problem? Well, one, maybe they came to know Christ. That'd be great. That'd be beautiful to think about it like that. But others just simply move away from their friends. Listen, we need to intentionally be going to our friends, investing in them. Number two, include them in your God's story. God has been writing His story in your life. Tell Him about it. Tell Him about your life before following Christ. Tell Him about your life since following Christ. Tell Him about the change that He has made in your life. So include them in God's story. Just tell Him your story. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to know what chapter and verse to go to. It's helpful. It's very helpful. But you can start with your story. Then number three, intercede for them spiritually. Intercede for their spiritual condition. If you aren't right now in your life praying for people that you know by name daily, if not multiple times a day, who are not yet followers of Christ, then I question whether or not you're really building up the kingdom of God yet. Build up followers, and you'll do it when you're passionate enough about it that you can't sleep, but you're thinking about them. You can't eat, but you're thinking about them. You are constantly interceding for them. They're on your heart. They're on your lips. They're a part of your life. You're investing in them. And then invite them to church, number four. 
I hope that you can consider Grace Point Church a safe community to invite them to, that a message will be proclaimed clearly and effectively, hopefully. And guess what? It's just perfect timing that we're going through Ephesians, and then Easter is two weeks away. The day, one of the two days that we have of the year that people will turn their heads to a church and say, hey, I might need to go. In the church world, we call those poinsettia believers and Easter lilies because they come in about twice a year. And you know what? Find your friends. Invest. Include. Intercede. And then invite. Invite them in to the God story. There was a funny a boy grew up on a farm and his dad was a dairy farmer. And he grew up old enough that he was now able to go out and work with his dad one Saturday morning. And so they went out at 4.30 in the morning when he could have been sleeping in. He jumped up when his dad said it's time to go milk the cows. And so he jumped up and they went and they milked the cows. And then they fed the chickens and then they slopped the hogs and they gathered the eggs. And then they came back in and, and mom had been cooking a breakfast that would, you know, make a... Make your arteries just go, clock, 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 you know, clog all up. But it was it was going to be a good taste in breakfast and all that kind of stuff. And you could smell it before you even got in the house. And you could go in there and there's biscuits and gravy and fresh milk and butter and everything's laid out there on the table. And boy, they just scarf it down. And the son leans back. He's about eight years old. He just leans back and says, Dad, that was a hard day at work. And then his dad says, Son, those were just the chores. Says the work is out in the field. Get your gloves on. Let's go to work. You know, sometimes I'm afraid we come into this building and we think we've done God's work when we've taught our three and four-year-olds. It's a beginning. Those are the chores. But the work is out in the field. Rome, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Would you read it out loud with me? Read it with me. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, I'm afraid many of us are living high, wide, and handsome, fat and sassy at the dinner table or the breakfast table, content with doing the chores when the harvest needs laborers. Will you go into your harvest this week, this week, for the next two weeks, invest, Involve, intercede, and invite. Try it and watch God work through you. Number three, third value add to your life when you're a part of a Grace Point family, I pray this is true, is that you're going to be a part of a community of unity. Now, we're not going to always get along, but we're going to be committed to working to resolve whatever conflicts we do have, and hopefully we will ultimately get along. In the word, we call this fellowship. I spent a lot of time last week just dealing with this whole concept of fellowship and unity and the fact that we are unit and how we maintain unity in the home. So I'm not going to go relive that. But go back in your own time and read verse 2 and just think about it. If we would live in community, a faith community, and we would live with each other in humbly, verse 2, gently in verse 2, patiently in verse 2, load-bearing love in verse 2, and if we would be eager for unity, as it mentions same passage. What a difference it would make in a faith community. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. In fact, uh, I do my best, and I will always be committed, I make a commitment to you to do my best to stamp out discord. I don't want it. 
Now, again, I agree, we will not always get along. But can we be committed to disagreeing agreeably? Can we be committed to working for resolve and to let Scripture be our guide and to come back to this with a unified spirit? Look at verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There is a unity element that must be a part of our church that brings us together, that ties us together. In fact, we make this commitment in our North Point class. We talk about it. That uh, that we have everybody sign a covenant that makes this statement. Many of you are members, and so you've read this and you've signed this. But here's the statement that we make. Read it with me. That I will regularly stand for the core beliefs and the unity of my church by studying and defending the doctrines we believe, by supporting the pastors and leaders, by speaking and acting in love toward the members. We need to be a church that will attain to the unity of the faith. That is a church that we need to be a part of. Number four, that we'll be a part of a transforming community. We'll be transformed into new people. Now, this is what Paul really drills down on. He spends a lot of time dealing with this. He talks about it in verse 13 and 15, and we'll, we'll read that. But I just want us to understand that there's a whole lot of different beliefs in this world today. And we need to raise up our antennas, and we need to be ever so aware of what's being taught out there. And we need to make sure we're being transformed by truth and not by some half-baked idea. G.K. Chesterton said it like this. He said, the key to having an open mind is knowing when to bite down on something solid. Find something solid you can believe in. This is what Paul was having to deal with. He, he talks about the transformed life, and about knowing the truth, and that is one of the ways that we do that. Look at verse, uh, uh, verse, verse 13. He says, to mature into manhood. To mature into manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you're not at manhood until you look like Christ. Let Christ be your example. The fullness of Christ, that's our measurement. So that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro in the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, that we would grow up. Listen. This is the challenge that we live in in this day, that we need to know the truth and bite down on the truth. There's a lot of debating out there on what is truth. And I don't have time to go into it all, but I'm afraid sometimes we chase personalities rather than chasing the truth. There's even a debate out there about a book out right now, and I just kind of want to warn you about it. It's a book called Love Wins. I haven't read it, so I can just put that out there. I haven't read it, but I've read a lot of reviews, and I'm not going to base my, base my opinion on it. But... The, the author, in particular, is Mr. Popularity. He's like Mr. Communicator to the emerging church. I'm afraid a lot of people are going to chase after popularity and good communicators before they chase after sound doctrine. Know the truth. Live the truth. Which leads me to the next point. Because he's, he, Satan is cunning and craftiness. Don't forget that. All right, living in love is also a part of being a transformed person. Living in love. Verse 15 says it like this. It says, rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him in whom He is head of Christ. But listen, we need to learn how to tell the truth, yes. But we need to do it in love. It's one thing to, 
to, to be one who knows the truth. It's another thing to be one who can speak the truth in love. Jesus was very good at this. One of my favorite verses is John 1, 14, when it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And having truth is one thing, but having grace is the balance of that. Having truth is one thing, but as Paul said, having truth and telling it in love is another thing. Will we be a church that will help transform lives, I hope. One last thing that we get as, as, as a community of faith. And then, by the way, if you haven't noticed this, these are the five tasks of our church. If you've been through North Point, you know what I'm talking about. The five tasks of our church. And we're ending with the one that we begin with. That we would share in the exaltation of our God. And where this all begins with Paul is actually back in verse 8. And I didn't go there first, but I want to go there now. Because we'll go back to verse 8. And we just read verse 7 earlier where he talks about the gifts that he was given by Christ's gifts. He says, therefore, when he has ascended on high, he led the host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Again, we just talked about the gifts that he has given to us. And then he almost does his own little commentary in the next two verses. It says, in saying he ascended, what does that mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. This is speaking of Christ's incarnation. When, this is speaking of Christmas morning. When Christ came to earth. When God left heaven and he descended to this earth. To be in this, born in Bethlehem and to be raised in Nazareth. And nobody, nothing good came out of Nazareth is what the Bible tells us. And then verse 10 he descended, is, is the one who ascended far above all the heavens. Now listen to this next statement. This is the purpose statement of it all. That, that he might fill all things. See, the goal of everything in this passage, and I saved the best to last, if you will, is that that when we come to this passage that we will see that yes, God has given us gifts and, and, and yes, He's given us gifts to the body and yes, we have a, we have a, a faith community that equips us and, and, and hopefully encourages us and, and empowers us and, and yes, we have a faith community that is a one that's a unified family that I can come together and love on. They'll love on me. Yes, 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 yes. It's all those things that we talked about. Because the goal of it is not just so we can be happy, warm, and filled. The goal of it is to fill this earth with God's glory. That's the end aim of it all, is that we would worship Him in, in this tremendous power and glory. That's the, 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 the Lock in on that phrase, that, that He might fill all things. Now my question to all of us today, is He filling our hearts? Is He filling our lips? Is He filling our worship? Is He filling our lives? You know, I am elated to call you your pastor teacher at Grace Point. Lori and I, for 10 years, and the kids and others, but I speak to my family, have given ourselves to Grace Point Church, and we have no intentions of going anywhere else for many, many years. We love this faith family, and we love what God's doing here. But we're 10 years old this year. The end of June will be the first birthday, if you will, of our church's life. And what's great is that's kind of when we kind of started meeting in the living room and it kind of grew out through that living room and it went to 
a conference room at the Holiday Inn Express in Bentonville, and we outgrew that. That didn't take long. And, and then we went to another location, the Reagan Elementary School, and we were there for, we, in three months, we were in three different locations. The hardest thing about coming to Grace Point was finding where we were going to be meeting uh, the next week. And so as we continued to grow, and from there we launched on October 7, 2001, just a, less than a month after 9-11. And it was, it was an, an exciting journey. And it has been an exciting journey. And I know for some of you, you've been a part of it from the get-go. And you know what I'm talking about. We're going to celebrate that this year. From, from, from our strategy meeting forward, we're going to celebrate the first 10 years. But we're not just going to, hey, this has been a high-five in everybody. This has been a great 10 years. Okay, great. But we're also going to celebrate the next 10 years. And we're going to talk about casting a vision for 2020 and beyond. Where will you be 10 years from now? Where were you 10 years back? And how would God want to use you with the aim of filling this earth with His praise? Because what a beautiful thing happens when, when that happens is the body comes together. In verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together. This is what happens when a church becomes a church. The whole body joined and held together by every joint in which is equipped. When each part is working properly, I love this, I love this, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know why I love that? It's because when we are acting as the church and we are living out these five primary tasks of our church, what happens is we're working properly. Now, there's a whole lot of people that are down on church and went to church growing up and hated this church, and I quit church a long time ago. That's what we have on our website. We're a church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. Because I think when a church functions properly, it will be well-functioning, it will grow, and it will be a community of love. That's why we have a mantra around here. The best way to bless a community is to start a church. Because it's the only organization that can help a community, body, soul, and spirit. So let's be the church. And let's be a church that the world and the community will know and love to be a part of. Would you pray with me? Father God, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. And Lord, you you have given so much grace to us. And Lord, in the midst of giving us so much grace to redeem us and to make us your children and to give life to us, to save us from our sins, and on and on and on and on. Lord, you then turn around and give us gifts. You then turn around and do that, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we don't take them for granted. Lord, we don't take them for granted. We value them. So, Lord, we want to worship you because that's the chief aim of it all is to fill this earth with your worship. So, Lord, be in our worship now. We pray in Jesus' name.